Hey, do you like cartoons? I like cartoons, and if you're anything like me, cartoons and animation provide a well-needed escape from the stresses of real life. So come join me in this little corner of the world that I've created for myself and for you too. We all like cartoons here. Welcome to Kelby's Cartoon Corner. So, I said I was going to uh, not come back until 2021, but that was a lie. Um, I couldn't stay away for too long. There's way too much to talk about. And I got a new microphone for Christmas, and I needed an excuse to use it before I release the next episode. So I decided to mess with it, and here we are. <laughs> um, this week, we are going to be talking about... Uh, hello? <laughs> this week, we're going to be talking about Big Mouth Season 4. And I know it's still kind of new, so if you haven't seen it yet, uh, this is your spoiler warning, because I am going to be talking very heavily about things that happen, and I'm not going to be holding anything back. I may not, like, go into, like, extreme detail, but I am going to be touching on a lot of really plot-heavy elements of the show. Also, this is structured a little bit differently, where I've just given myself bullet points, because I, I know that... I know it's going to work. I know this is going to work like this. So I've given myself bullet points of things that I liked about the show, and then I'm just going to talk about that, and then I may go off on a little bit of a tangent, but then I have a way to reel myself back in. Also, they start out in chronological order, but then they don't stay that way. Like, I... Yeah. It, it started out... First of all, I started typing this script at work. So, like, it starts kind of in chronological order like I reorganized it so it came out chronologically and then after that it just kind of is like this is fun I like to talk about this and then it goes like all over the place so it starts with like some semblance of structure but then it will quickly devolve from that so uh hopefully you can follow along and pay attention but again if you haven't seen season four uh this is your spoiler warning also I may swear in this one I'm not gonna I'm not gonna okay just about <laughs> I I'm not gonna, like, I think there's a couple of, like, swears that I've, like, put into the script, and, like, I'm just not, whatever, man. Like, this is an adult animation. I'm not gonna censor it. I'm not gonna, like, just be swearing for the sake of swearing, but, like, I'm also, sometimes I, like, am on the verge of almost swearing, and I have to, like, stop myself, so I'm not gonna do that this time. We're just gonna see how this goes. We're just gonna kind of, I'm trying to do this. <sighs> okay, so when I finished season four, I knew immediately that I wanted to do, like, a bonus episode about it. Also, I don't know how strong this microphone is. Like, I can hear me, and I can also hear me, like, rubbing my hands, but I don't know if you guys can hear it. So, like, I'm, gonna tr I'm trying really hard to be, like, very aware of what I'm doing so that I don't, like, hit things or, like, rub something, and then you can hear it. But I'm, again, I'm, like, rubbing my hands. And my poor little hands are so dry. <laughs> but I don't know if you can hear it. So, I finished season four and I knew immediately that I wanted to do an episode about it but I knew that it needed to be like stream of consciousness where I'm just talking but I can't trust myself to do that and stay on topic so I knew I needed some sort of structure so that's why I have bullet points but with that if I don't have every single word scripted out how I want to I may just like swear without meaning to so I'm just warning you ahead of time <laughs> this is an adult animation I am an adult I may swear. So, this is your warning. <laughs> I, okay. And then I didn't have a transitional thought. I just kind of stopped. So, oh, this is going to be fun. Okay, so first of all, season four is my favorite season so far. I loved seeing all the characters develop and grow. Um, I have a lot of things to say about this season. Honestly, I said a lot, but it's not really all that much. 
like normally my well I mean normally my scripts are like 20 pages because I type out every single thought that I have but I have what like nine pages worth of no probably more like eight pages worth of notes because like there's a lot of intro and there's a lot of outro so I just have thoughts written down okay I guess we're just gonna get into it so first of all okay so I loved from the trailer, I loved the idea that they were going to continue exactly where season three left off. So at the end of season three, we saw there's a little bit of a continuity error because they make it seem like Nick and Andrew have gone to camp every year as long as they've been friends. They've gone to summer camp together. But then, like, in the middle of season four, it's like Andrew's never been to camp. So, like, do they always go to camp or have they never been to camp? What's going on? Nick goes to camp every year, we learn. But, like, what about Andrew? Because they make it seem like... They always go together because, like, Aunt Nick is really sad when Andrew doesn't go. But, meh. So anyway, from the trailer and from where the story left off at the end of season three, we knew that they were going to be spending the summer at camp. And, like, we knew that was a thing that was going to happen. But me, personally, I didn't know how that was going to work. Like, I didn't know how they were going to be able to make an entire season out of, what, like, how long are they at camp? I think they're at camp for, like, a month. But, like, summer vacation is, like, three months. So, like, I didn't know how they were going to make that work. But they did because not the entire season took place at camp. And I'm glad that they did that because, again, I couldn't see how an entire season was going to take place at camp. So I'm glad that that was just, like, a, a, what, the first, like, three or four episodes? Or maybe the first half of the season was at camp and then the rest of it was not. And I'm glad that they did that because otherwise... I don't know where else they could have taken the story. I feel like they explored plenty of things in those few weeks that they were at camp, and that's good. We're, we're grateful for that. I also... Okay, I wasn't sure how they were going to make it work for a whole season, but, like, I loved the idea of it taking place at camp. I love everything that happens at camp. I love Milk. I mean, I don't love him, but, like, I love the way... Okay. <laughs> I don't love the way that the guys treat him, because obviously it's, like, wrong that they're bullying him, but also... Like, I love that they accurately portrayed that middle school boys are assholes, and I love it. Again, don't love it, but, like, that's how middle school boys behave, and I they depicted that accurately, and I appreciate that. Again, don't love Milk. I am with the guys where I thought that he was really annoying, but at the same time, like, there's always that one kid, you know what I mean? There's always that one kid that, like, is super annoying, but, like, you're forced to be nice to him. And, like, I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> End of thought. <laughs> I love Nick's anxiety about showering at camp and Andrew's anxiety about pooping at camp. Uh, there is a really subtle John Mulaney stand-up reference in the scene where Andrew was trying to poop at camp. Not the, like, really gross scene at the end of episode, like, four, where he, like, births a turd and it's gross it's like like that scene is of above in a way more unnecessarily gross than that season the um the opening of the second episode of season two of final space where they just pee everywhere like this there was no reason that we needed to have an entire birthing sequence where andrew gives birth to this giant turd it's just, it's gross. Everything about it is gross. I hated all of it. But anyway, when he's in the cabin and he's trying to poop, there's like, there's a very, if you don't watch 
a lot of John Mulaney stand-up, then you probably didn't catch it. But, like, I appreciate that because, I like, I don't watch him a lot, but I have seen that, like, little clip of, like, the freaking... Okay, so <laughs> there's, there's, like, a, a, a stand-up routine that he does where he's talking about going to get... Uh, he's trying to go to the doctor and he's trying to get... Uh, is it Xanax? I think he's trying to get a Xanax prescription. And his friend told him that he went to the doctor and told his doctor that he gets nervous on airplanes. And so his doctor wrote him a prescription for Xanax without, like, any further questions. So John was like, I can do that. Because he said that, like, his normal speaking voice is, like, normal. But then if, like, if he were in a public bathroom and somebody knocked on the door, his voice would immediately go into, like, a carnival barker trying to, like, drum up business for a carnival. And that's exactly what happened when when Nick came into the cabin while Andrew was trying to poop. And, like, it's... <sighs> It's not subtle if you've seen that stand-up routine and you know what it is. But, like, I caught it and I thought it was brilliant. I loved it because John Mulaney voices Andrew. And I just thought, all around, great reference, wonderful scene. <laughs> and that's where the comedy with the pooping ends. Like, I appreciate the anxiety of showering because it's a real thing that happens when you go to camp. Especially for, like, like, it's one thing to go camping for, like, a day or two and you can, like, skip a shower or whatever. When you're there for, like, weeks and you you have to shower and like you have to be in like a group with a bunch of other people like that's real i get that but i appreciate that they included that um okay this one has nothing to do with camp specifically but i just want to say that jesse's period wave dream is like surprisingly accurate and the whole scene where she uh tries to wear pads tied together with floss really stresses me out like everything about that scene makes me nervous and, like, stresses me out. And then the, like, the pad absorbing the lake and then further causing complications with, like, aircraft that are flying over the camp. It's just, like, that continues to spiral into, which I guess is to, like, play into the idea of anxiety, which is kind of a theme for the whole season. But, like, just, just the period wave dream is something that, like, I don't know if it's something that, like, every woman has experienced, but, like, you have a dream like that and you immediately know what's going on as soon as you wake up. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> like, you know what's happening. And I, like, I would hate for that to have happened, like, at a camp or something. I can't imagine. Ew. Poor Jessie. She has the worst luck with periods. Because she, honestly, she's the only female character that we explore periods with. So, like, I guess it's kind of on her to have all the bad luck. But, like, bro, she got... Her first period on a field trip wearing white shorts and then she went away to camp and she got like the biggest period that she's ever had just like that's rough man that sucks i would hate to be jesse for a lot of reasons but like the period stuff really sucks big mouth continues to excel in its personification of abstract emotion and mental health issues i love the use of the mosquito in season four to personify anxiety this gives me really big Steven Universe, Here Comes a Thought vibes. Uh, in that music video, well, I mean, it's like the whole song segment when Garnet is singing. It's, they use butterflies. And it's something that, like, one is very small and very manageable. But then when you get a bunch of them, it's suddenly very overwhelming. And I really like that. I like the way that that's portrayed. And the way that, uh, I like that visual. Where, again, one is very small and very manageable, but then when you get a bunch of them, it's 
very suddenly overwhelming. And I really appreciate that. And that is something that, again, that was in the trailer. So I knew that like anxiety was going to be one of the things that we were going to be tackling, but I didn't expect it to be like, I don't know. I just, I really liked it. I liked the way that they used mosquitoes to like portray that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love Missy's growth this season. I'm, I talk about this later, but for right now, I just want to say that her outfit change was something really small that really added to the idea of her changing, but like all the kids in general, like they're transitioning from seventh grade into eighth grade. And there's another, uh, there's another instance later where Nick and Andrew are dating seventh grade girls and they think that they're so much like older and more mature because they're eighth graders now and they just think that they're like there's like a sense of like elitism because they're so much they're so much older you know than these seventh grade girls and these poor girls need us to show them around and then it turns out that nick and andrew are actually a guest on their netflix show called cafeteria girls that whole episode is really fun but just like there's these little moments that let us know that the kids are aware that they're growing and changing. And one of those that I think was really clever was Missy's outfit change. I really liked that. The, there was, because there was a point last season where they had been, not, not really teasing it, but they had been talking about like Missy's overalls are so iconic of her look and her just like personality in general. And then Missy goes through this whole journey of self-discovery this season where she's discovering more about like what it means to be black and what it means to be herself. And I think that, and also like junior high is a time where everybody is changing their, you know, they're trying to figure out their like own personal style and the kind of, I mean, that is a theme that continues through like the rest of your life into, I would say into like your mid twenties where you're trying to figure out, your style and who you are as a person and like who your friends should be. And like, I like that they're doing all of it. They're starting it all now. And I like that they started Missy's growth with her outfit change and her, uh, like her whole style change, but like her outfit specifically. And then she had that whole scene where she was like sad and her overalls were talking. It was just, it was like weird, but it was also cute. And I appreciate it. All right, Jay and Lola as a couple is something I never expected to see, but I love them together. Maybe they're not the ideal match for each other. Um, it feels like the kind of relationship that they're going to look back on as adults and kind of cringe. But as eighth graders, I love them together. I love their energy that they have of like, screw what everybody else thinks. We're happy together. And I love that together they learn about... Uh, they learn about pleasure and they make an effort to communicate with each other. Also, one of the like, one of the, I don't know, like the lesser touched on or lesser talked about things that all the kids kind of experience this season is the fact that like you open yourself up to somebody and you're going to get shut down or you're going to get let down because like that's the thing that Nick really struggles with, especially towards the end is the idea that a part of being vulnerable with somebody or with people in general is you're taking that risk that you're going to get shut down. But it happens with Jay and Lola again, later in the se in the season where Jay admits to, first of all, this scene hit me way harder than I expected it to. Um, 
they're out it's after the halloween party and jay and lola are out at like ihop or something and they're eating pancakes and jay admits to lola that he loves her which is like beautiful in a lot of different ways because this is like this like i this is the first time that i think that jay genuinely believes that he's in love with someone and not just saying that because he's craving their attention or their physical touch or something like that. Like, he and Lola have created a relationship with one another, and it... I mean, again, they're 12 or 13 or whatever. Like, you know, it's not deep, like... Whatever. It's not, like, deep, deep love, but it's, like, you know, as much love as you're able to comprehend at the age of 12 or 13, I really, truly believe that Jay feels that toward Lola, and he puts himself out there, and he says, I love you, and then, um... Uh, Lola says, she says something like, I think you're really great, too, and then they just continue eating, and then Jay is like, um, do you have anything else to say? And Lola's like, um, no... Like, they, I mean, they had been talking previously about uh, pancakes being little beds for mice. And, like, Lola says something, like, off the wall about what they had previously been talking about. And Jay, like, kind of sits back for a second and goes, oh. And then he goes, okay, well, I'm going to go to the bathroom or something. He, like, leaves. And she says, okay, I'm going to order coffee as a joke. And he's like, uh-huh, that's really funny. And then he just, like, leaves. And he's so sad. And he takes up, like, they dressed up as Bonnie and Clyde for Halloween, like a couple's costume. And he takes off his hat in the parking lot. And he's just so, like, crushed. And later, is it later in that episode? I think it's the next episode. Uh, Lola is kind of wrestling with... Uh, like, she feels guilty because she didn't immediately say back, I love you too. Like, she didn't immediately say it back and she's wrestling with that in the next episode. But that's another thing. Lola also says, uh, everyone I love leaves me. So she's, like, afraid to put herself out there. And then she gets proven right because she goes to Jay and she tries to make up for it. And she says, hey, I'm sorry that I didn't. She, like, is very honest and open with him. And she says, I didn't say... It's not that I don't feel it, I just didn't say it, because every time I do say it, whoever I say it to ends up leaving me. And then Jay proves her point by saying, well, you know, screw you, you didn't tell me that you love me back, so, like, this relationship is over. And then they get into this big fight, and Lola says... She, I think she says you're gonna you're gonna regret that next season or something like they're really playing into the fact that these characters know that they're in a TV show it's very fun it's very meta but like she says something to the effect of like you're gonna really regret this next season and then Jay is like meh and they like go at it for a few minutes but uh, that's like the end of their relationship and it's really sad but it starts because Jay puts himself out there and he gets rejected and then Lola turns around and does the same thing and then Jay rejects her so that's like an un- I don't know if anybody else has talked about that, but, like, that's a thing that I just noticed when I was, like, skimming through these episodes to kind of put together this list. I, like, that's kind of an unsung theme of the whole thing, is, like, opening yourself up, being vulnerable, and then also, like, with that, when you open yourself up to be vulnerable, you have to also be aware that along with that could come rejection. And obviously, when we do something like that, we hope that the people that we are exposing ourselves to emotionally and mentally and spiritually are going to like be receptive to that but a lot of the times they are not for a variable amount of reasons like sometimes you can just not be sometimes you could be so in your head that you're not like mentally emotionally ready to take on anyone else's stuff and so you could 
say something that you might genuinely mean in the moment, but don't mean it to come off that way. Or, you know, you could just not be feel. you know, sometimes somebody could just, you could just not be feeling the same way as somebody else does. Like if somebody says, hey, I love you, sometimes you just don't. <laughs> sometimes you just don't feel that way and that's okay. But that's something that the kids wrestle with. And I appreciate that Jay and Lola were the like subject of that, at least for one, like one side of this story. I appreciate that Jay and Lola were part of that. I just really like them as a couple. Again, it feels like something that they could look back on in like 10 years and be like, ew. But also, but also I kind of hope that they don't because I think it was really good for them to be together. They're both two. And again, I know they're not necessarily great for each other, but I appreciate that they gave it a shot because they both come from very sad backgrounds, very broken homes. And I just appreciate that together they're able to kind of figure themselves out a little bit also like figure out uh like what a relationship dynamic should look like maybe for them per like what they would want in a relationship personally i just really i like everything about them being together again i recognize that they're probably not the best for each other but i appreciate that the writers at least gave them a chance and like like a genuine chance and it wasn't just like a one-off thing where like it was it was somebody's dream or like i appreciate that it was a full like they lasted a full season and they really really tried to make it work i just i really like them together so okay along with that i had to like pause for a second while i scrolled along with that there's a little mini arc where jesse moves to the city and she is going to this new school where all these girls are like everybody's super wealthy and they're like all like philanthropists and like they do all these really great things and like jesse does not have that kind of life and so she tries to fake it for a little bit to make it seem like she's this girl who does all these really cool things but she's just not she's just regular and again that's okay but she the anxiety mosquito gets to her and so she's just like mm, no so then she i think she skips school one day and she meets this older boy who goes to I don't know if he goes to the same school or if they're in the same district. I don't know because they make it seem like Jesse is going to this all girls school. So I don't know why this boy would be going to their school, but like, that's fine. What? That's not the point. So she goes to this coffee shop. She meets this boy. His name is Michelangelo, which is like this super exotic name. And he has an accent and he's older and he's really, he seems to be really interested in her. And I really, really appreciate that they included this story <laughs> because she not only is she like super into this guy but she goes beyond that and places her entire self-worth and self-image in his hands and personally that's very relatable i feel like that's something that a lot of young girls have an experience with and it's something that can spiral out of control really quickly if not uh like if you don't have somebody with you who can like snap you out of it and be like yo <laughs> What are you doing? Why are you obsessed with this boy? What, like, there's something, I don't know what it is, but there's something about being young and having someone older than you be genuinely interested in you. I don't know what that is, but like, I feel that. <laughs> like, I understand. I understand that story arc. But it's like, because there's a point where Jesse is like, like, and Nick and Andrew come to the city and they find her and Nick says something like, this dude is an ass or something like he says something that 
makes Jesse kind of step back and be like, oh, crap, is he right? And then, like, the depression kitty comes in and is like, Nick can't be right or something. Like, I don't remember what exactly she says, but she says something to the effect of, like, he's everything that we've ever wanted. And, like, he, like, he means so much to us. We can't just, like, abandon him now. Like, making it seem like he's going to be hurt if we leave when, like, he was totally fine before we came along. Like, I don't know. I just, I appreciate the inclusion of that story because I feel like that's, I don't know if that's something that everybody can relate to, but, like, I personally can relate to that and I appreciate the inclusion of this story. And it's something that, it doesn't last for very long. Like, her relationship with Michelangelo maybe lasts a couple of weeks or, like, a month or something and then she finally, like, she doesn't snap out of it. He breaks up with her, but then, like, later I think she's able to kind of like snap out of it and be like oh yes that was bad <laughs> that was not a good situation that we were in so I appreciate that okay from what I can gather I think the Nick star episode and like arc of Nick's character growth is the least favorite among fans I don't love the tone and the vibe of the Nick star episode but I do love the end reveal that it's all in Nick's head because it's like an anxiety induced uh, like, story spiral thing that he's, like, because he, like, falls asleep on the bus or something, and the whole thing is, like, the entire episode is all a story that he's created in his head, and it just, like, it gets more and more crazy as the story goes on. So, uh, this whole season was super relatable for me personally for a lot of reasons, and this is one of them. A few weeks, a few months ago at work, I had, like, one very brief fleeting thought that I just, like, plucked, and then I, like, fixated on that for, like, 20 minutes, and I did the same thing that Nick was doing in this episode where it just kept spiraling out of control, and it got to the point where, like, it was so real, like, I don't know, like, I, I'm not gonna tell you what that thought was, but, like, it was so real, and, like, I just felt it, and so I, like, I started panicking, and I, like, went into the bathroom, I had a full panic attack, and then I, like, was able to calm myself down enough that I could, like, go out to my desk and, like, gather my stuff and then leave, and I just had to leave work, <laughs> and I, like, I came home, and, like, as soon as I left work, I was fine, but it was just, like, getting myself out of that, like, I needed to be removed from the situation or the, like, area where this was happening. And so I just, like, got all my stuff, clocked out, went home. And, like, as soon as I got to my car, I was fine. I, I just, like, needed to be away from that whole situation. But, like, I feel this story because I for sure have had that happen where, like, you have one fleeting little thought. And I think that's what, um, I think the Tito the Anxiety Mosquito even says something like, at the very end of that episode, he says one little thing, and then that's the thing that Nick, like, hyper fixates on, and then the next episode is all about that, and it just spirals, and it gets more and more insane as the story goes on. So, again, the story of that episode wasn't my favorite, but I do appreciate its inclusion in the narrative, because I feel that. <laughs> I've had that happen, and it is no fun. And then, like, Nick wakes up and he's just like, oh god, it was just a dream. But then he, like, continues to think about it for several, for several more episodes. Also, the end of the, like, I didn't, ha I didn't write this down necessarily. I didn't at all. But, like, <laughs> it just, I was just thinking about this. That, the end of the episode 
where Nick, like, falls asleep on the bus and has this whole, like, panic dream, is the end of an episode where they go to Ground Zero and they visit the 9-11 museum. And the whole time that they're there, Matthew is making fun of Coach Steve because his birthday is on 9-11, but he doesn't know about 9-11. And he just, like, spends the whole time. But, like, one of the things that Matthew says is... 9-11 happened before we were born and like that really hit me because he is not wrong (laughs) that is so bizarre like I that okay this isn't necessarily where I wanted to go with this but like I don't remember 9-11 because I was six when it happened but like I do remember a couple years later when I was in okay so I was in first grade when 9-11 happened but then I remember in third grade they pulled us in they like grouped all the third grade classes together and we all came together and they sat us down and they watched like a tape recording of the news broadcast of that day and it's just it was very surreal but like like I don't remember the actual day of 9-11 like I don't remember if school shut down if we went home early like I don't remember because if it did I wouldn't have known because I was six I didn't have the like awareness to know what was going on but then in third grade I remember Like, I just remember watching that recording of a news broadcast and thinking that it was actually happening. Because, again, I still didn't really have, like, the cognitive ability to, like, know what was going on. I was just, like, zoned out and being like, okay, this is weird. But, like, there's... Okay, so at the... In my sophomore, junior year of high school, I had to take American history. And the very last unit that we covered in American history was a unit on 9-11. And somebody asked, why are we covering this if we lived through it? Like, it's a historical event that we experienced. Why do we have to cover it as part of, like, this unit? And my teacher said, I have to include this in this unit because you will be the last generation of kids that I will ever teach that personally experienced 9-11 and can, like, remember it happening. Like, Every other group of kids that I will teach from this point on will have no cognitive memory of 9-11 happening. And, like, that blew my mind. And it's something that I continue to, like, have to remember. That there are people my age, and and me, personally, like, again, I don't remember the actual day. I just remember seeing a recording of the news broadcast two years later. But, like, there are people like me, like, there are people who are younger than me who have no memory of that day. And have no idea what life was like before 9-11 and like I don't because I never flew like I I had never been in an airport like past just the like waiting to pick somebody up or in a plane or anything like that before the summer of 2019 like I had never been in a plane or in an airport to any extent so like I personally don't know what that was like but I know that life completely changed for Huh. There's also something really, like, really impactful that Lola says at the end of that episode, but I don't remember exactly what it was, and I don't want to butcher it, but, like, it's a very profound statement, and I appreciate the inclusion of that. <laughs> but again, I just, that just blew my mind, because Matthew was like, 9-11 happened before we were born, and I, it just, I had to sit for a second and be like, oh crap, he's right. <laughs> Yo, these kids are young, because they're 13, and I am not. And that's just, I don't, sometimes age is, like, really weird to me. I don't know. So, yeah, the 9-11 thing was really weird. 
One of the things that I loved this season was that the main gang seemed to be more broken up. We see less of them together, and I think that provides some really interesting ways to promote growth in each individual character. I've already said that I love seeing Missy alone, but I also love seeing her with Devon, and this, again, ties back into the 9-11 episode because they're at the museum, and Devon and Missy sneak away to go to a party. It's not... It, it's... They say party, and I imagine it being, like, 30 kids, but it's actually, like, five kids sitting around smoking out of a bong, and then Missy and Devon show up, and they're just like, meh. <laughs> Whatever. But, like, I love seeing her with Devon. I love the code-switching song. I love Missy's family. I love, uh, I love that Quinta, uh, Quinta Brunson is one of the, like, voice actors who voiced Quinta, the character. Uh, I love, I love everything about that. I love that Devon said out loud, I'm secretly old as hell, furthering the mystery that was established in season one that he's secretly an old man. And that still has really weird connotations for his relationship with Devon. But again, I love that they're continuing that trend. And this is the closest that they've ever, like, this is Devon saying, I'm secretly old as hell. This is not just like the pharmacist being like, oh, he bought insure or like his back cracking at the sleepover or like Allie casually saying that like, you have to help him get dressed or something like that. Like, this is literally him saying, I'm secretly old as hell. And I really need to know what that means. Like, how old is he? Why is he, why did he marry a child if he is secretly old as hell? I'm just, I have a lot of questions, but I appreciate that they're continuing this mystery. I don't think we saw anything, I don't think we saw anything or heard anything of the ponytail killer this season. There was too much other stuff going on. If there was something about it, I didn't hear it. And I've seen the whole season, I think I've seen the whole season like three times at this point, and I have yet to see anything about the ponytail killer. I also didn't notice anything really fun on the board outside of the school. And again, the first like five episodes took place at camp, so there wouldn't have been something outside the school. But I didn't notice anything really fun on the letter board outside. But just, it <laughs> I didn't notice anything, but that doesn't mean it's not there. I love seeing Jessie on her own. I love seeing her in a new environment. Again, I really like her sketchy relationship with the older guy. Don't like him, but I like that storyline. I love when she's talking to her therapist and she says that everything is okay, but then the depression kitty says, you had yellow mustard on a tortilla for dinner. And again, super relatable. <laughs> I Not that I eat yellow mustard on a tortilla, but like sometimes when you're really depressed, you just like, I have this weird thing. I don't know if this is true for anybody else, but sometimes I will like reach a point like, I have, like, a cycle that I go through, and I am aware that I need to go to therapy for that, but, like, I, I'm i trying to track the cycle of my, like, depression and anxiety, and I've got it narrowed down to, like, six points, but anyway, there will be a point that I hit when I get really, really depressed, like, to the point where I can't get out of bed or anything like that, where, like, all food tastes like ash, like, I can't taste anything, and... I am only eating for sustenance. Like I'm not eating because normally I'm a foodie and I just will eat, I will eat food because I'm bored because other various reasons, like I will just eat to be eating. But when I'm super depressed, I can't because everything, like nothing tastes and there's no, like there's no amount of bitter or sour or acid that like penetrates that like, ugh. I just can't taste anything. Everything tastes like ash. So I'm just, I'm only eating so I don't starve to death. And it like, uh, uh, so like I relate to this, like yellow mustard on a tortilla. Like I get it. 
because sometimes you're just not and sometimes you're just not in the mood to cook like again i'm a foodie i love to cook i love to eat but like sometimes you're just not feeling it i also am like a zero or 100 person like i'm not i i don't have a zero to like it's not a scale it's either zero or it's 100 like i want i either want only convenience and like only fast food or like i want to hand make all of my pasta and my bread and like make all of my sauce from scratch like i have there is no in between i either want convenience or cooking like there's no there's no in between <laughs> and i'm like that with everything like i either want okay i can't think of anything else but like cooking specifically i either want nothing or everything <laughs> and like eating the same way nothing or everything okay so <laughs> looping back uh that was super relatable. Also, when her parents make the decision to let her move back in with her dad, and the kitty and the mosquito are making her feel bad, and then Connie, like, grabs them and, like, kicks them out of the frame, and she's like, oh, no, you do not get to make her feel bad for this. These parents are finally getting their shit together. I love that. She is so, like, she's so proud. And then when, um, when Jesse is saying goodbye to Shannon on the train platform, and Connie comes up, and she's like, well, you know what I've always said about Shannon? And then Jessie's like, what? And she's like, she's a good mom and I love her. <laughs> and they just cry. <laughs> I love, I love Connie. I love Jessie. I love all of it. I love everything about this show. <laughs> the only character that we see, that we see on their own, that we would normally see mixed in, the, the only other character, good God. <laughs> I only have like a few notes written out and I can't even be bothered to read them before I start recording these podcasts. Yeet. <laughs> Okay, the only other character that we see on their own that would normally be mixed in with the rest of the gang is Matthew, and his story is my absolute favorite. From the very first time that we saw Matthew, way back in season one, we've known that he was gay, and for the longest time, his only character trait was being the snarky gay character, but he's really evolved in the last two seasons. In the Valentine's Day special, we see him meet a boy named Aiden, and then in season three, they start dating, and it's really fun to see Matthew as part of a pair, but also to see him be nervous and unsure, instead of being like snarky and quippy and on all the time i really like seeing him i like seeing that other side of him where he's like nervous and unsure of how to be in a relationship just in general i really like seeing that side of him so in season four the next logical step as far as story would go is a coming out story and this is honestly my favorite story of the entire season it's kind of a B story because the main focus of the show will always be nick and andrew and like sometimes also jesse but like also, like, Matthew is one of my favorite, like, B characters. The song that he sings after he, like, tells... Is it after he tells his mom? I think it is. Well, he doesn't tell her. He, like... He's sending a dirty text to Aiden, and his mom sees it. And so then it's like this... She knows, and he knows that she knows, and she knows that he knows that she knows, but, like, no one's saying anything about it. So for a while, it's just this, like, dance around where, like... They both know that the other one knows, but nobody is saying anything about it. And so finally Aiden is like, we've just got to rip off the band-aid, man. You've just got to tell her. And so he does. And she says, I don't even remember what she says, but then he like goes up to his room and he's really sad. And Maury tells him to sing a song about it. And he does. And it's beautiful. And then they sob together. And it's, again, it's wonderful. I love it. Okay. So I love that song, but I also love the scene with him in the car with his dad. And this doesn't happen until like the later half of episode 10. So it's like very late in this season, but the like 
when it happens doesn't matter. I just appreciate that it happens. So this scene specifically was teased in the trailer for season four because he says something like, uh, he said, okay, it's unclear from the trailer who he's talking to, if he's talking to his mom or his dad, but I feel like I always assumed that it was his dad because in season three, there's a line where, uh, there's a scene where Jesse goes over to his house to quote unquote study so that he can hang out with Aiden and, uh, they go upstairs and Jesse is like, does your dad not know? And Matt, Matt is like, we have this fun old fashioned army style. Don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. And like Matthew's just okay. I don't know if he's okay with it, but like, that's the way that things have always been. So he's just learned to live with it. And so I think from that and from context clues, I was able to kind of figure out that this scene specifically was going to be about his dad, but it wasn't explicitly stated in the trailer who he was talking to. They were just in the car and he said, I'm gay. And that might mean that you're going to send me to a conversion camp or I don't remember what else he says. He like lists a couple of other things, but anyway, this scene is with his dad and he says, um, okay. So he, they're in the car. He's been really nervous because his mom didn't take the news well. And he said something like, I have to tell dad. And his mom is like, no, no, don't, don't tell your dad. Like she really freaks him out and says, don't do it. It's a mistake. Like he's going to take it way worse than I did. Like she just freaks him out, man. So for a long time, he's like, okay, well, I guess I won't tell him. But then they're like in the car and they're going somewhere. And Maury's like, this is the perfect time, man. Like, you're not going to get another opportunity like this. Like, you've got to tell him now. And so Matthew says, hey, can I talk to you? And his dad says, oh, that's usually your mom's department. And he said, yeah, I know, but I'd, I'd like to talk to you about it. And it, I don't know why, for some reason, that uh, scene gives me like, young Sheldon vibes. And, like, I've never seen a full episode. I've only seen clips of young Sheldon. But, like, that's kind of what that gave me. Like, I know that I know that it's usually mom that talks to me about things, but I'd like to talk to you about it. And he says, okay, go ahead. And he, like, he, he works up, he talks about going to be with Aiden for a while. He said, uh, like, I didn't go to an interfaith council meeting the other night. I was hanging out with my friend. His name is Aiden. He's my boyfriend because I'm gay. And then he just like, he like stutters a little bit. And then Matthew's dad like stops the car and like pulls it over. And I think for like a hot second, you think that the reaction is going to be negative, but it's not. And it's beautiful. So his dad stops the car and he pulls it over and he looks at Matthew and he said, I already knew that you were gay. And like the words right there weren't necessarily my favorite, but I love the fact that he pulled the car over. Like this was not a casual conversation. It was set up to be kind of a casual conversation because they're just like in the car, they're going somewhere like, Hey, I need to talk to you about something. But the fact that he pulled the car over, uh, like his dad recognizes that this is an important moment between them and that it should be taken seriously. Matthew has his dad's full and undivided attention for like, 30 seconds, but that's enough. Like he, like the, just, I love it. <laughs> he pulled the car over and he looks at him and he says, I always knew that you were like, I already knew that you were gay. And then he says, I know who you are. He says, I drove you to tap classes. And then he like puts the car in drive. He says, Matthew says, mom told me not to tell you. And his dad says, well, she worries about you. And she's probably going to need a little bit more time to wrap her head around this. But he said, we'll figure it out. And then he like puts the car in drive and he starts talking about Fuller House. And uh, Maury's like, I think your dad is done with this conversation. But like, that was enough. Like, I just, 
I love it. I love everything about it. Like, he pulled the car over. Like, that's the thing that I keep focusing on, is that he, like, like, that scene could have gone a hundred different ways, but he pulled the car over to give his son his full attention. Again, if only for 30 seconds. Just the, like, he pulled the car over, he stopped, and he looked at him, and he said, I know who you are. And I, mm, I love everything about that. One of my favorite themes in media in general, but I especially notice it in Christmas movies, is fathers who appear to be hard asses but love their sons. Because the trope is that fathers will bend over backwards and do whatever they can for their daughters, but very rarely is it ever shown that they will do the same for their son. Again, I notice it in Christmas movies a lot, but I'm sure that there are examples uh, in, like, both animation and, like, TV and, like, movies in general. But the two best examples that I constantly think of to reference this are A Christmas Story and then the Walton's Christmas special, The Homecoming. I don't really want to get off on a huge tangent, but, like, uh, let me defend my point for a second. So, <laughs> in... A Christmas Story, Ralphie, I'm assuming that everyone has seen this one, Ralphie really wants a BB gun, but he gets turned down at every turn because you'll shoot your eye out, and on Christmas morning, after all the gifts have been opened, his dad notices an extra gift that Santa Claus brought when his wife asks what it is. His dad went out and bought him a BB gun, and, like, I know the implications of him going against his wife's wishes in this case, but, like, he said that he had one when he was eight, and Ralphie is nine. Like, his dad is, like, trusting him to be responsible enough to have this BB gun and not shoot his eye out. That's what he's saying. Like, I trust you. You're good. And his dad is genuinely happy to see him open it. And the only other time that we see him this excited in the movie is when he opens the leg lamp. And he never outright tells Ralphie that he loves him, but this is an act of love from a father to a son, is this gift of this BB gun. And again, I understand that, like, it's not great that he, like... But there's also probably some stuff that's happening behind the scenes that we don't see. Where, like, they're laying in bed at night. Because his mom asks him during breakfast one morning, what do you want for Christmas? And he says... And I think it's after his dad has already left the room. And he says, I want a BB gun. And then his mom says, you'll shoot your eye out. So at some point, like, the parents had to have discussed this, right? Like, that... Like, his mom doesn't think that he's ready to have a BB gun because she doesn't trust him, but, I, like, maybe dad thinks that she's just being overprotective. Like, I had one when I was younger than him, and I was totally fine. Like, and if he does shoot his eye out, that's a lesson in responsibility. Like, we'll just, like, you know, not, not that I want him to shoot his eye out, but, like, like, I trust him enough to not do that, is what I'm saying. And I feel like there was some stuff, like, in the works happening behind the scenes. Like, uh, the mom obviously did not know that dad went out and bought this gun but also it's like it's him saying i trust you and like i i know that you're responsible enough to have this and not hurt yourself or others <laughs> like i don't know i just i appreciate that i it's one of my favorite christmas movies the other example that I always come back to is The Homecoming, which is the Walton's Christmas special. This one is a little bit more out there if you don't watch the Waltons regularly, or if you don't know anything about them, uh, or the show in general. So The Waltons takes place in the 1930s during the Great Depression. It's about a poor family who lives in Virginia. Two parents, seven kids, and their grandparents all live under one roof. John Boy is the oldest 
uh, the oldest sibling, the oldest son, and as such takes on the role of another parent whenever the siblings are out of the house or sometimes just because mom is busy. John Boy wants to be a writer, but his dad has always been really hard on him learning a trade. John Boy knows that it would take a college education for him to become a writer, and it wouldn't be fair of him to ask the family to spend so much money. Oh, you probably picked that up in the mic. Whoops. <laughs> It, like, it wouldn't be fair of him to ask the family to spend all this money for him to go to college to have a chance at something like that. Like, we're in the middle of a depression. We don't all have that much money to begin with anyway. Like, it wouldn't be right to ask the family to take a big gamble like that on me. So instead, he keeps these writing tablets in his room and he uses them like journals. I relate to John Boy, both as the oldest sibling, though I don't have six younger siblings. I just have the one. But also... When Mama comes upstairs to ask him what he's doing, because he keeps, he'll, like, like, in between scenes, he'll just disappear. And he's upstairs in his room with the door locked. And everybody's, like, freaking out, thinking that he's doing something. Like, Mom comes upstairs and she says, are you smoking cigarettes? And he's like, no. <laughs> and she's like, are you, she says, are you hiding something? And he says, yes. And she says, I'd like to see what it is. So he shows her these tablets and she says, are you ashamed of it? And he says, no, but I like, and then he goes into this. It wouldn't be fair to ask the family to risk this, risk this money on me because we don't have any money and just blah, blah. But anyway, I relate to him because he says this thing. He says, things just stay in my mind, mom. I can't forget anything. It all gets bottled up in here, and sometimes I feel like a crazy man. I can't rest or sleep or anything until I just rush off up here and write it down in that tablet. And, like, I feel that, man. Sometimes you just gotta write it down. And even then, like, a lot of the times I write stuff down. That doesn't mean it goes away. It just, now it's also, now I can also see it instead of just having to think about it for days. So, anyway, in the movie, John Walton, the dad slash husband, is away for work but he's supposed to be home on Christmas and it's getting really late on Christmas Eve and he still isn't home. So eventually mom sends John Boy out to try to find him and he goes all over, but he can't get very far because there's a tree that fell over and it blocked the road so nobody can get in or out of town. I don't remember the name of the town that they live in, but uh, John Boy comes back home and everybody gets ready to go to bed and they hear a knock at the door and it's daddy. So a bus had gone off the road and he had to walk and hitchhike to get home, so it took him way longer than it should have. And it's also 1930, so not everybody has phones in their house. Because there's a point where, there's a point where Grandma says, "What we need is a telephone." Because like, if they had a phone, John would have been able to call and say, "Hey, <laughs> there's a there's there's a bus that went off the road, and so I'm going to be late." Like, but then that would have been like the end of the movie, also. So it's you know, whatever. So he comes home. And he gives gifts to everybody. He, like, tells this winded story of how he knocked Santa Claus off the roof and, like, grabbed all the toys that he was supposed to be giving to the kids before he could fly away. So all the kids open their gifts, and then John Boy finally opens his, and he gets a big stack of the writing tablets that he's been using. And John just kind of smiles at him and says, I wonder how word got all the way to the North Pole that you wanted to be a writer. And then John Boy says... I reckon he must be a right smart man. And he's got, like, he's got tears in his eyes. Like, it's a very, like, emotional scene. And then uh, John says, I don't know a thing about the writing trade, son, but if you want to take it up, you've got to give it your all. And then he says, yes, sir, daddy. And then all the kids get tired and they go to bed. And I personally have a super deep uh, emotional and sentimental connection to this movie, but that scene also just, like, gets me. Uh, I love that scene. Again, a man who seems like a hard ass but loves his son. There's another quote uh, where 
like John Boy is driving. He's driving this car to try to go find John, and he is just thinking about all these things. Again, like re-emphasizing the fact that he just thinks about things and he can't forget until he goes to write it down. And there's a quote from John that says, The night that you were born, I wanted to wake the world and tell them that I had a son. John Walton is a good, honest man who loves all of his children, but especially John Boy. So, when Matthew's dad pulls the car over and looks at him and says, I know who you are, you can imagine how that messed me up. The scene was so good. I loved everything. I loved this whole scene so much. That was just, like, a long-winded way to say, I really like that scene. <laughs> I'm going to continue to say it over and over again. One of the biggest things to happen this season is the transition of Missy's voice actor from Jenny Slate to the new voice actor whose name I do not know. Uh, <laughs> so going into this season, I knew that the change was coming and I kept waiting for it to happen. And to be totally honest, when it did finally happen, I like I, I missed the symbolism of when it happened. It happened in the middle of the Halloween episode. And the first time I watched it, I was kind of mad that they made the switch in the middle of the story. But then a few days after that, I saw a BuzzFeed article about it. And now that I get it, like, I'm a big fan of when they chose to do it. I think it's really cool. So the switch happened in the middle of the Halloween episode. And the Halloween episode is great all around. And if I wish that I had had a chance to watch it before I did my uh, Spooky Month episode about Halloween specials. But it wasn't out yet. It didn't come out until December 4th. So I would have had to wait for a long time to get that. But... Each kid is made to face their biggest fears. Matthew comes to terms with the fact that the world won't end when he comes out to his mom. Andrew learns that he can't avoid death. All he can do is breathe. Nick comes out a little bit worse than when he went in, but he's got the next episode to figure himself out. Uh, Jesse learns a lesson in gratitude from the Gratitude, who is also a great character. And then Missy learns that she isn't just one character trait. She's all the pieces of herself. She isn't one-dimensional. And the moment where she figures that out is the moment that they transition voice actors. And again, I missed it the first time. I missed, I didn't miss the switch between voice actors because I had been waiting for it the whole season but I did miss the symbolism behind it. So if you also missed it, I encourage you to go back and rewatch that episode because it works really well. And I'm really glad that I read that BuzzFeed article that talked about that because mm. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise I would have come on here and I would have just been mad that they s switched voice actors in the middle of an episode. Because again, I completely like it went, it went right over my head. I didn't like that's uh, if a season or a series is short like this, where it's like 10 episodes and I have time to watch it multiple times before I record an episode of a podcast, that's great because then I feel like I pick up on more stuff. But like a lot of times I just don't have time to watch, like I don't have time to watch four seasons of a show back to back. Okay, well, it's one thing when the, the, the seasons themselves are like 10 episodes, but when each season is like 30 episodes, I don't have time to watch the entire series twice before I come on here and I type the script. So a lot of times I feel like my scripts are kind of all over the place, but like this one is also kind of all over the place, but less so because I was able to watch the whole thing several times. But again, I watched it several times and I still miss that. So I'm glad that I read that BuzzFeed article that talked about that because otherwise I would have just come on here and been mad. So <laughs> yay, I'm glad that I read that article. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, 
I love the Gratitude. Again, the show excels in personifying abstract concepts, and the Gratitude is one of the most unique so far. I would have also liked to see the self-harm walrus that Connie mentions in an episode, but I I wonder if he's they are going to pop up later. Unsure, but I mean, I kind of hope that that's a character that we don't ever see, but also that would be another layer of... And, like, I can't imagine what character that the self-harm walrus would appear to, unless it was, like, another B character that we haven't already focused on. And, like, I don't know who that would be, unless it was, like, Allie or maybe Devin or somebody like that. I really hope we don't, like... I just hope that we don't have, like, a whole B story on Devin. Like, I don't love her. She's not my favorite. Like, she's the kind of girl that I hated in junior high and that I will never get along with in real life. Like, I just don't get along with those kinds of people. (laughs) So, I hope that we don't do a full episode focused on Devin. Or, like, a whole mini arc focused on Devin. But, I mean... I also hope that we get to see the self-harm walrus. Again, kind of hope that we don't because I I understand the implications of that, but I also kind of want to see what this character, like, design-wise would look like. But I... Whatever. I'm 50-50. I hope that we see them, but I also understand the implications of what would be going on if we did see them. So, like, eh, yin-yang. I don't feel like we got enough Coach Steve this season, now that I've said yin-yang. He doesn't have... Like, he doesn't have any like, memorable one-liners, necessarily. I mean, he's the lifeguard, and then he's, like, the subject of Matthew's taunting at the 9-11 Museum, and then the only other time that I remember seeing him is when Jesse comes out of therapy, and he's, like, getting ready to go in for couples therapy with the bad mitten. But, like, I mean, there's some, first of all, there are some good callbacks in this season. Like, callbacks all the way back to season one. Like, the Monster Energy Drink sponsorship, the badminton, that wasn't season one, but, like, the badminton, like, there were, like, lots of good callbacks this season. But, like, I don't feel like Coach Steve got enough screen time this season. He's one of my favorite characters. And I just feel like we were lacking in Coach Steve content this season. So, anyway, episode 10 of season four is where all the stories come together and mostly where Nick gets to work out his issues of self-image. I'm not going to give a whole rundown of the entire episode, but I will say that when Nick finally comes to find that little naked version of himself and he embraces it and they merge together, excellent Steven Universe reference. Not sure if they meant to make that reference, but it's there. Also, uh, it like it goes from that and then immediately morphs into an Avatar reference because Nick's star's face does that like glowy thing that Ozai's face does in the finale when Aang takes his bending away. Love it. I love references. Whether or not they made they meant to make them, they exist. And I caught them. And I'm proud to say that. <laughs> okay, so the end was first of all, this is the only series this is the only yeah, the only season so far where I physically like I I must just block out the end of this season because I can't ever remember what happens. <laughs> Like, I can't ever, like, I okay, I remember the end of season, obviously I remember the end of season three because that led directly into season four. The end of season two was, what was the end of season two? It was, like, leading into the Valentine's Day special. Okay, well, whatever. Like, I haven't seen those, those seasons in a while, but, like, I just finished season four and, like, I could, like, just have finished season four and then I immediately forget what the ending is like and I feel like that's not good. <laughs> 
that means that the ending isn't great. It's not very strong. Um, like, okay, leading into that, Rick is my least favorite hormone monster. Like, he's fine, he's funny, but also I was really glad to see him leave in season two. Like, I love seeing his return as, like, a one-off. Like, when they're in the cafeteria of the, um, of the, like, Department of Puberty and Rick, like, comes because somebody's, like, retiring or somebody's birthday, he just came to have cake and do the crossword. Like, I appreciate a one-off where we just see him somewhere, but, like, I do not care for him as Nick's hormone monster or as Coach Steve's hormone monster. Like, I just, I don't care for him as, like, an active character in their lives. Like, eh. <laughs> like, okay, I was glad to see him leave, but I didn't, like, I didn't love his return in season four. But I especially don't love the closing song of season four as sung by Rick. Again, it's fine. Like, throughout the rest of the this season and the rest of the show especially like the music has been one of the stronger parts of it and then we ended the whole season with this like kind of okay song by rick that and like i don't know like it's not awful it's just not my favorite and it's it just seems like a weird way to end it because it feels like a really finite ending and i can't decide where a season five would go uh, like, hopefully Nick gets some counseling and maybe we'll see more of Lola and Jay after they broke up because she explicitly said, you're going to regret that next season. So that makes me think that something is going to happen. But other than that, I have no idea where this the next season is going to go. But I mean, I felt the same way at the end of season one. But at the end of season one, there were just so many variables. Like, I didn't have the, like, the whole context of who these characters were and how they functioned in this universe. And now we're four seasons into it. And... It just feels like the show just, like, ended. <laughs> and I don't know where it's gonna go. Like, I hope that we see more of Jesse. I hope that the, the masked principal wasn't just, like, a one-off thing to be funny. Like, I hope maybe that's something that will continue into season five. I don't know. <laughs> but again, I can't, I can't see where a season five would go. Because that feels just like such a, like a, like a cap on, like, on this story. So I don't know, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to watch a season five. If they announce a season five, absolutely I'm going to watch it. I just don't know where that's, where the story's going to go. I don't, like, maybe we'll see more of, like, Matthew and Aiden's relationship, and like, evolve. Maybe it's, like, the end of the show being focused on, like, Nick and Andrew and Jesse and Missy. So maybe, like, next season we'll have more story that's focused on, uh, like, Matthew, and, like I said, Allie, and maybe, maybe Devin, and, like, Devon. Hopefully we get some more, like, Devon-focused story. Um, both because there's, like, that mystery of him secretly being an old man, but also the, like, whole, the code-switching thing, he was trying to not, he was trying to, like, break that habit, or, like, was talking about trying to break that habit, so hopefully that's something that is explored a little bit more in season five. So like, maybe this is just a wrap on these characters being the main focus of the show. And season five is going to explore other characters, which I would be fine with. It just seems, it seems kind of weird that like, we'd have the whole series focused on these like four or five characters. And then like, it would just like, it would just be a cap. And then we would pivot <laughs> and, all of a sudden for the next couple of seasons just focus on different characters with the uh, with the, like the main characters still being mixed in but 
I don't know. Like, I don't know where I think this would go. I mean, that would be kind of cool to see some, like, story focused on some other characters that we don't necessarily see a whole lot. I'd love a couple episodes about Caleb. Like, I would love to see... Like, because from season one, like, clearly Maury knows who he is, so, like... So is he also Caleb's hormone monster? Because if he is, we never see that. So I would love to see a couple of episodes about Caleb. I just think that would be fun. All right, so we're well over an hour into this. I think I did pretty good, honestly. So that wraps up this week. I hope you enjoyed this little bonus episode that kind of gave me an excuse to play with my new microphone. Look out for the Code Lyoko episode that's set to drop on January 9th. And, yo, pray for me that I can get it done. Because I just finished season one last night. And I have, like, three seasons to marathon in a little bit less than a week. So, yikes. And it did get better. I will say that. It it got better. Like, I, I did skip... I think I watched to episode 8, and then I skipped to episode, like, 14. So, it... And then it got better. Like, more things happened. But it's... I don't know. It's still not my favorite. But, like, we've already committed to doing this show. So, we gotta keep on keeping on. So, yeet. So, okay. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Big Mouth and all the other shows that I cover. Head over to Twitter and follow... I'm gonna... I don't know if you can hear me, like, fiddling with the little thing on my desk, but I'm going to try to stop doing that. <laughs> Head over to Twitter and follow at Kelby underscore cartoons. I'm getting way better at updating Twitter. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back to discuss Code Lyoko in a few weeks, but until then, happy cartoon watching, happy podcast listening, and happy Saturday. And happy new year. Bye. <laughs>